My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to America. I want to make friends. I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate and put this like that into perspective. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Today, today we saw the dream session. The dream of what happens when the Fed stops tightening. Bye, bye, bye. That's how the Dow gained 549 points, while the S&P surged 1.97%. The Nasdaq pole voided 2.05%. Unfortunately, it's just a dream, not reality. All right, what's the bullish dream? Okay, today the British Central Bank started buying bonds in order to hold down interest rates after just tightening less than expected last week. In other words, the Bank of England totally blinked. Immediately, our two-year treasury, which has become the most important piece of paper in the entire world, because it signified how tight our Fed had become, reversed and reversed hard, going from about 4.3% yield down to 4.1% in one of the most stunning moves I could ever recall. It was like the entire bear market transformed into a bull market. Because another country's central bank, not our central bank, another country's gave up fighting inflation. So why isn't that good enough to justify today's rally? Because the Federal Reserve is not the Bank of England. In the next two days, we're going to hear pretty likely from a bunch of Fed officials who deny that they're going to blink. And it's just that they have the fortitude to fight inflation. They will be so downbeat and so determined that you will realize their dream is your nice sell, 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 sell. I had no doubt about that. Unfortunately, I do have some doubts about this Fed strategy. It's time to talk about it because I've been pretty pro-Fed. See, I think the Fed has reverted to its previous non-data dependent strategy back from 2018, where they actually didn't care what damage they did to the economy because they were so fearful of inflation. And they crushed everything when they adopted autopilot then. And you know what? They're going to do so again. Now, look, I'm not saying they're wrong to tighten. I, I, I think tighten's right. I'm not denying they were six months late to the party, although Jay Powell had nothing to do with the massive federal spending courtesy of the president and Congress. He didn't have much to do with price gouging by containership operators with the great resignation or the loss of a million of Americans to COVID. Nor did Powell have any input into Vladimir Putin's decision to invade Ukraine, which raised the price of fertilizer 30 to 40 percent. Something that hit you right in the breadbasket. And he most certainly didn't think that the People's Republic of China would repeatedly lock down its own people because their COVID vaccines barely work compared to the mRNA vaccines from Moderna or Pfizer. But those were Western-made. And President Xi does not like the West unless it's addicted to Chinese foreign policy giveaways. It doesn't matter. Pal had to play catch-up. The question now is whether he's already caught up or even past where he needs to be, at least for the moment, because if that latest triple rate hikes, and triple rate hikes people are very abnormal, and they can be staggering to the economy. Once you find out what it's like, it doesn't happen the next day. You don't say, like, whoa, it like takes a little time, even just a month to sink in. But they're not waiting. They're promising more hikes of all shapes and sizes to come. And I got to tell you, it's... <laughs> and it's... They know nothing! Yeah. They know nothing! The market's been tumbling ever since because Powell's abandoned his previous policy of data dependence. It's like he's decided in advance that all the inflation data would be too hot. Therefore, he has to hit us repeatedly. 
heated rain heights. Just in case, uh, like, like uh, that inflation is some sort of Hollywood villain that always comes back from the dead. Today, we saw what would have happened if Powell hadn't taken that lockstep approach. We would have seen the home builder soar. We would have seen a gigantic rally in the banks, which can make fortunes of the Fed stocks put more stress in the system. Most important, we would have had a gigantic leap in the tech stocks. Just stupendous. What's incredible is that before the Bank of England panic, we were, for lack of a better term, about to crash. You heard me. Crash. Just this very morning, at 5.05 a.m., the averages were plummeting, led by a rather anonymously sourced story about a pending Apple shortfall from weak cell phone sales, a story that I could not substantiate about the one big tech stock that was still holding up. Interesting, huh? I couldn't refute the story either because nobody in the Apple complex will talk to reporters. At 5 a.m., there was talk of a cascade, the final give up after seven straight days, a moment where you feel like an idiot for buying stocks, especially since short interest rates once again seemed headed inexorably higher. Now, I've reminded you repeatedly that the Fed doesn't care about your portfolio other than trying to hurt it. I mean, really, I'm putting it generously. In reality, to the extent the Fed cares about your portfolio, they want it to go lower so that you have less purchasing power, which will then translate into less inflation. With Jay Powell on the warpath, it's tempting for people to dump their stocks and hide their money in the two-year, collect that 4% and change risk-free. They want your stocks to lose money. It's okay. It's a game plan. I don't believe in it, but it's the plan. The Fed doesn't want your stocks down. That's not the only thing they want. It wants you to stop speculating, particularly in crypto. I am sure they wish that thing would just go away. And, oh, and with your speculative money with it, okay? And just go away. The Fed wants your house to lose value, maybe 30% of its value given recent price increases. They want mortgage rates so high, double where they were last year, that there will be no more bidding wars on houses, which have been a major source of home inflation. What a great way to stop home inflation than to make your home worth less. What a great way to stop stock inflation than make your stock portfolio worth less. It all makes sense, doesn't it? Most importantly, the Fed wants you to fear losing your job. They want to make the prospect of retirement seem too expensive so that people rejoin the, rejoin the workforce and there will be less wage inflation. Now, I've got to tell you, someone in the restaurant business in New York, I know this is purely anecdotal, but give me a break. Things have changed dramatically hey, from even a year ago. You want a job? Sorry, we do not need you. And that's the frame I'm hearing. You walk down the street in Brooklyn and you get hit by resumes from people who work at restaurants. I fear Fed-inspired paper cuts. Totally different from a year ago when it was impossible to find help. In a way, j Powell did get lucky. Today, we got to see what would happen if he'd taken a less aggressive approach to bringing on the pain. He's already doubled mortgage rates in one year, and businesses have started to cancel big deals that would have brought tens of thousands of jobs, like the financing that fell apart for Tellurian, that risky, liquefied natural gas play that just lost a chance to really build out some facilities we and the Europeans desperately need. Couldn't get the financing. I don't want to see Tellurian lose the opportunity to build a new LNG export terminal, but this is how you know that the Fed is winning. The Fed winning is bad for you, short term. Longer term, I get it. Inflation is bad. However, if the Fed wants us to be poorer, to feel poorer, and to spend less so the prices come down, today's rally was a disaster. Sure, we were lucky enough to see what can bolster the market, none other than a lower yield on the two-year. But if the Fed wants stocks to come down, uh, well, now they know what to do. They can just send any minion out, any small, I don't know, from whatever region, and just say, look, rates are still too low. Uh, there's, uh, this was just a dip. Don't get your hopes up. And then today's gains will evaporate and they'll be happy again. 
So I, too, am thrilled to see the market rallying hard. I am now terrified about which Fed head will come out, take one look like Groundhog, and say, holy cow, this is all bad. I don't know why these rates went down. It's not in the cards. And feel like it's imperative to point out that they're still planning to bring the pain on. This is the house they want you in. The house of pain. Not this one. House of pleasure. If you're one of the real Scrooges at the Fed, you say something like this. Did it occur to any of you two-year Treasury buyers that it wasn't us started buying back bonds? It was over there. It was in Britain. We have our own agenda, and our agenda is to make you feel poorer so that you spend less money and the economy cools down. And we're not even going to wait a couple months for the next hike. We're just going to bring it on. Bottom line. The moment some Fed head explains the obvious, today's gains will indeed disappear because they're incompatible with the Fed's attempts to control inflation. This rally was based on a dream. And as we learned in the Maltese Falcon, the stuff that dreams are made of is not a valuable commodity. Let's go to Andy in California. Andy! Good afternoon, Jim, and greetings from Chatsworth, California. The boss is here and wanted to say hello to you also. Hi, Jim. You're awesome. Anyway, boss. I'm an old retired guy living on a fire department and military pension, but Thank thanks you. To your, thanks to your kind and intuitive and compassionate uh, investing advice, but to very comfortably add to my income. So I want to thank you for oh, that. Thank you. We try so hard here. My whole team tries so hard. And it's been such a difficult market. So I'm really happy to hear that, we're, that we've been helpful. How can I help now? Oh, yeah. I'm getting conflicting advice on a particular stock in a previous investing club newsletter raymond james initiated a strong buy on a stock and then another brokerage listed it as a strong bearish position so i'm wondering if you could uh, do a tiebreaker on planet fitness well we are huge believers in chris ronda we think he's built a remarkable business we think that they offer a service that this country needs, which is nationwide fitness at a reasonable price. And we are not against that. We are with it. The tie goes to the runner, which is Planet Fitness. And thank you for serving. All right. The moment some Fed head explains the obvious, today's gains are going to disappear because they're incompatible with the Fed chief's plan on controlling inflation with lockstep raises in rates. On Mad Money Time, Lululemon announced today a new fitness platform connecting its users with a host of new offerings. And I'm learning more about the future of the fitness company with, and of course, the power company, with the company's chief brand officer. Then, even with today's bounce, the sentiment of the market is just plain awful. So what does this mean for your investing strategy? I'm going off the charts to find out. And Paycheck CEO Marty Musi announced his retirement set for the middle of next month. So I'm sitting down with the incoming and outgoing CEO for more about the transition and what lies ahead for this great company. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Here's a segment that's near and dear to my heart. First, is home fitness a better business than we thought? 
For a while now, this whole story has seemed like a COVID play with a bleak future in a post-COVID world, witnessed the uh, decline, not demise, but decline in Peloton. But a couple of years ago, Lululemon got into the home fitness space when it bought Mirror. And today they announced a new service called Lululemon Studio. It gives you access to both online fitness classes and also in-person ones with some really popular studios like Rumble, like Pure Bar. So could this kind of hybrid option be the future of fitness? Let's take a closer look with Nikki Newberger, the chief brand officer of Lululemon Athletica. Now, I, I have to tell you that I found out, Ms. Newberger, about this one from an email from my daughter, Emma, because everybody apparently is very, very excited about this announcement. As are we. As are we. We announced this morning the natural next step in the evolution of Mir, which you heard us talk a little bit about at Analyst Day, and moving that into the Lululemon ecosystem and calling it Lululemon Studio. What we unveiled today is this new hybrid fitness platform, just as you said, and really what's new about it are three things. So Emma is going to have access to even more content. I've heard she loves Amanda Robinson. She'll still get plenty of classes from Amanda. I listen to you. I listen. Um, But she will now have access to additional content from eight new studio partners that we've added to the platform. She also will now have the flexibility to work out at home using her mirror. She can work out out in the street, any digital device she has. And she can also go to those studios and work out in person with those partners. And then lastly, we've added Lululemon benefits, a suite of benefits, including 10% off Lululemon products. So a discount there and 20% off the in-studio classes to those partners, as well as some other, you know, early access to product and things like that. Well, I think people need to know that the studios you're talking about are the best and therefore expensive. The 20% off is substantial. Yeah. I mean, what we do is we create products that really serve the unmet needs of our guests. We listen to feedback. And what we heard was we're looking for more benefits. We want to get back into the gym. We don't want to lose the access of working out at home. But we're really excited about what the offer is, and we think it's going to bring a ton of value to folks like Emma, as well as new people we hope will buy in. Now, you also cut the price of Mirror, which makes it so that it's the holy grail in my business, the razor razor blade model that has made some companies, like a Proctor, billions of dollars. Yeah, well, the special price, so $7.95, is something that we're hoping entices new folks into the community. The subscription, much below. Much below. The subscription price is remaining the same. So again, for folks who are already members, we're packing in a ton more value at the same price. But really, this is about driving engagement and loyalty with our existing community. And we see that as fuel for our core business. How many people use the remote app the on the go for when they travel? We haven't shared that number, I don't think. But we have a community of millions of millions of guests. And so I think the hope is that we can get as many of them as possible in and engaging in this as a daily go-to option to engage with us and our studio partners. As you know, community has been at our core. These studio partners have been longtime Lululemon partners, and we see this as an opportunity for us to both be stronger together, coming out of the pandemic, like you said, and giving people more options. Now, I, some people may not know these different uh, partners, but there are uh, some people who are a little intimidated because they, the, the biggest stars in the world go to these partners. So it might be a little bit less intimidating to work out with them at home. Yeah, we see a couple things here. So we have added eight very diverse dynamic partners. So you've got Y7 with yoga. You referenced Dog Pound, which is a luxury fitness boutique based here in New York and in L.A., a bunch of others as well. 
I think if you are a little bit intimidated, you first get to meet those trainers and try it out in the comfort of your home. We talked about Forward Space, which right. is which is a dance partner. I love to dance. I do not want to do that in front of a lot of other people. Right. So I would probably do that at home. But if you want the energy of going into the studio and you work up that confidence trying it out at your house, you can now go into the studio and meet those folks in person as well. All right. Well, I was at my Lululemon Summit ahead of you coming in, uh, and I saw uh, belt bags had yes. uh, were gone. They had all sold out. Now, this is something I was thinking about getting someone. What is it? Is this the hottest item you have? This is the Everywhere Belt Bag. It is hot. It is the bag of the summer. We are getting them back in stock. If you check every Tuesday, we're dropping new colors and trying to meet that demand. But it has gone viral and just one of the phenomenons that happen in popular culture. And we are a benefactor of that. And uh, I'm waiting for new shoes. Yes, I am wearing some new shoes. These are the Strong Feel the third of our shoes to launch this year. They come out on Monday, October the 3rd. We're really excited. These shoes would be great for a dog pound class because these are for strength training. But as you can see, versatile as we normally do, and you can wear them around with normal outfits as well. And I'm going to give my last Emma question. Okay. When the mirror came, she said, my favorite brand is Lululemon, and yet you can't tell that this is a Lululemon product. Why aren't they proud? Well, that's all changed, isn't it? That is all changed. And Emma, that was part of the vision. That's what you can tell her. And we have finally brought it into the ecosystem and are realizing that vision with this announcement today. And uh, the company, obviously, that you are not the CEO or CFO, so we're not talking about the numbers. Yeah. But I would say from my own appearance, when I look at the stores, they're booming. And I don't think that's a wrong assumption. No, it's not a wrong assumption. We have a very loyal guest base and look forward to welcoming more people into the community. Well, you're terrific. Thank, Thank you, so you so much for coming Jeff. on. That's Nikki Newberger, Chief Brand Officer of Lululemon, with this new way that the mirror is going to be integrated into your life. Let me tell you something. I can tell you that this is very meaningful for a lot of people. They have money's back in. Coming up, don't get sentimental on us. Kramer goes off the charts to get a read on investor sentiment next. Even after today's bounce, this market's been absolutely awful. So bad that you can practically feel the negativity in the air. It's just hanging there. Stocks have been obliterated over the past six weeks, and you don't need to be a genius to understand why. We've still got rampant inflation, and the Federal Reserve has made it clear that they'll throttle the life out of the economy until prices settle down. Meanwhile, the rest of the world's in much worse shape than the United States. All in all, it sure feels like we're headed for a recession, doesn't it? So everybody's been selling because they want to get out ahead of all the estimate cuts that are going to start real soon when we get to reporting season. Now, we got to repeat today because the bond market finally went in the right direction. But that, that was thanks to the Bank of England, of all places. The narrative remains overwhelmingly negative in this country. However, that negativity at times is one of the things that I like about the market. Stocks are really despised right now. It's, it's frankly as hated as I've ever seen them. Honestly, it's kind of a, nut, a little bit nuts. Think about this. Even if the Fed causes a fear recession, it's not going to be comparable to the financial crisis. Yet we're seeing levels of investor negativity right now that are comparable to the financial crisis, if not worse. Good news, right? Now, the market can't bottom until we have a ridiculous level of pessimism, until all the fair-weather bulls throw in the towel, and there's nobody left to sell. Keep that in mind, right? Nobody left to sell. That's not the only thing you need for bottom, but it is the most important ingredient. And right now, sentiment's gotten extremely negative. But 
we have to analyze why, what it means, and how you find it. So I don't want you to take this from me. We are going off the charts with the help of a guy named Ralph Vince. I mean, he's a brilliant technician. He's been programming trading systems for all sorts of funds since the early 80s. Kind of incredible grasp of the big picture. Hey, this is a guy who comes with the Larry Williams seal of approval. Now, according to Vince, the level of negativity in this market is downright stunning. First, I want you to take a look at the S&P 500 going all the way back to 1980 with data from the American Association of Individual Investors in blue. This is the percentage of bulls in their weekly sentiment survey, meaning the percentage of investors who think stocks are headed higher over the next six months. Last week, it was at 17.7%. You know, how low? How about one of the, it's, it's one of the lowest readings in history. It's only a couple points higher than where it was in the spring, and that was the lowest level of bullishness since 1992. Even during the financial crisis, it didn't get that bad. As Vince sees it, any time bulls make up less than 20% of the pie, you got to hold your nose and buy something. Next up, check out this chart, which shows the results of the same AAII survey. But this time, it's illustrating the percentage of investors who are bearish in red. Look at this. Last number that last week, that number hit 60.9. I'm laughing because that's almost insane, all right? Meaning six in ten investors see the market headed lower over the next six months. Vince points out that we haven't gotten a reading this negative since March 9th of 2009, which, by the way, if you recall, was immediately before one of the greatest bottoms I've ever seen, the so-called Haynes bottom, named after the late Mark Haynes, when everyone else thought the market was still going lower. When the bearishness gets this extreme, as it was here and here, okay, when it gets this extreme, it's often a terrific buying opportunity. I mean, we can see these buying opportunities, right? Look at these. Over and over again, we get these great buying opportunities. Well, I know that it's just about negativity, but figure it out. I know it's really hard to pull the trigger. We did so yesterday for the charitable trust. It was so painful. But that's why I got to tell you, you got to hold your nose and buy something, even if it makes you want to puke. History says it's the right call. All right, now take a look at this chart. This is of the National Association of Active Investment Managers Exposure Index, which measures the position of active risk managers. Basically, it reflects how long or short the average money manager is on U.S. stocks. It runs from negative to positive, with anything over 100 representing leveraged longs, borrowing money. Right now, though, the exposure index is at anemic 29. Five, nine. Again, that's extremely negative. It tells you that institutional money managers have already gotten out. And look, it's not just the stock market. I want now take a look at this. This is the we always this is something I've been talking about for years it's called the University of Michigan Consumer Sentiment Index. Vince notes that just one reading ago, it made an all-time, not 10-year, not 20, all-time record low for the Michigan consumer confidence, even worse than the financial crisis, even worse than the stagflation era. Consumers are really pulling in their horns. That tells you Jay Powell is winning his war against inflation and then some. All right, how about the consumer's uh, future expectations? According to data from the conference board, expectations about the next six months are at the lowest point since 2013. All right, now take a look at the Dow Jones Industrial Averages in black versus the 21-day average of the put-to-call option ratio in red. That's based on all the equity options on the CBOE. You buy call options when you're bullish, when you, uh, you buy puts when you're bearish. So the lower this ratio goes, the worse sentiment has gotten. And right now, it's incredibly low. Not quite financial crisis low, because I mean, was, that was you know, really pretty horrible. 
and then pandemic, okay, but pretty low. Again, Vince is pointing out that historically, when this ratio gets extremely depressed, it often heralds a bottom in the stock market, like we saw in 2009. How about volatility? Vince likes to look at the VIVIX, the V-V-I-X, which measures the volatility of the CBOE volatility index, the VIX for short, and then divide that by the VIX itself. That's his preferred sentiment indicator, and right now, it's nearing where it was when the market bottomed in December of 2018. That was the last time Jay Powell went to war against inflation. He overdid it then. Maybe he's overdoing it now. Once again, the VIX to VIX ratio gets this negative. It's often a sign that we're ready to bounce. And you can see every one of these. Every time you see it, you see it bounce. I don't think there's anything more clear than what this is saying about time to buy. Finally, I want you to take a look at this chart of the S&P 500 in black versus inverted net free credit balances in red. In other words, the red line shows how little money is sitting in margin accounts. These numbers are back to where they were in 2017 when the S&P 500 was more than a thousand points lower than it is now. Practically anybody who was buying stocks with borrowed money has been blown out at this point. Isn't that fabulous? That's when it's the high, when there's so much money being borrowed, you know the market's about to crash. It's already done it. The bottom line, the charts as interpreted by Ralph Vince suggests that the investor sentiment has reached extremely negative levels to the point where you got to hold your nose and buy something. I know that's hard to believe, even after today's magnificent bounce. But in every decline, you eventually reach a point where there's no one left to sell. Are we there yet? I don't know, but you can't rule it out if you're looking at these charts. I want to take phone calls. I want to go to Jason in California. Jason. Hey, Jimmy, appreciate you having me on the show, man. Hey, I just wanted to say thank you for everything you do for us small-time investors. Um, I know you get a lot of flack on social media when your calls don't necessarily play out, but uh, you put a lot of insight and a lot of context to the market. You help uh, small retail guys like me out a lot, so I appreciate that. Thank you, Jason. Thank you. And yeah, you know, the, the people who uh, are not in the arena, they make fun of me. And uh, sometimes I read them and sometimes I don't. How can I help? Yeah, so I wanted to ask you about Netflix. Had a huge day today, big pop. Um, it's been consolidating in this 220 to 250 range uh, for the last several weeks. Um, if we can get over 250, it looks like there's a huge gap going all the way back to that dismal April earnings report um, up to 330. My question for you is can we get there? Uh, what do we need in the, what do we need to happen in the market to get us to that point? What we need to see, and again, Jason, thank you for the kind words. What we need to see is that people really don't mind uh, watching commercials. If they don't mind watching commercials, this stock is going to fly right through that level. I think that they will mind watching commercials. I don't like watching commercials. I think Netflix was set up against commercials, but I could be wrong. If I am wrong, this uh, would not shock me. This stock has a lot of upside because uh, maybe commercials are tolerated by people who don't want to spend any money. Now I want to go to Pat in Washington. Pat. Hi, I'm Booyah, Jim. Booyah. My name is Pat. I'm in Spokane Valley, Washington. I listen to you every day. Thank you, Pat. Thanks for all you do. Thank Uh, you. I have some ConocoPhillips I've had for about seven years. What's your thoughts on it now? Well, I think that it's important to have oils that yield a lot. They give you a very good return. Uh, as they go below 80, people get very scared. My case is, my, my case is listen, you got to own at least one oil. We have a, a market waiting in oil for our charitable trust. 
We cut it in half from what we had because they've had a big run. But right now, I don't want to sell anymore. Okay, the charts as interpreted by Ralph Vince suggested sentiment has reached negativity, extremely negative levels. And you got to hold your nose and you got to buy something. We may have reached a point where there's no one left to sell. And that point, of course, would have been in yesterday's session. Much more mad money ahead, including my exclusive with the incoming and outgoing CEO of one of our absolute favorite stocks and a huge winner, Paychecks. From the state of small business to the executive transition, I'm covering a lot of ground with the company's top press. Then today, investors seem to think that Apple was done for giving a, a headline on iPhone 14 production. But is the panic warranted? Give you my take, and believe me, it's certainly more informed than others. And all your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. Despite what I said at the top of the show about the United Kingdom Central Bank, the Fed here is not going to stop tightening until they tamp down wage inflation. That's why I like to consult Paychex, the payroll processor and provider of human capital management services. This morning, Paychex reported a solid beat and raise quarter, which, of course, is great news for you, the shareholder, but not so great news if you're Fed Chief Jay Powell worried about an overheated job market. Earlier today, we got a chance to check in with Marty Musi, the chairman and current CEO of Paychex and one of the most bankable executives I've ever had on the show, and John Gibson, the current president and CEO, who's taking the CEO reins in mid-October. Take a look. Gentlemen, welcome to Mad Money. Thanks, Jim. i got to start with you, Marty. Uh, it's been a long journey. Probably you might be the most consistent guest we've had. <laughs> and I want to give you uh, kudos because I believe the stock has gone up tremendously since we started talking. It has. It started at 27.50, Jim, when you and I started talking, when I became CEO 12 years ago. And uh, I think, you know, we're around a, over a $40 billion market cap now. It was 10 back then. So it's up four times. And let's not forget tremendous dividend the whole way. Yes, exactly. And in good and bad, you came on, although I can't remember any bad, even though the <laughs> analysts somehow yeah. thought they were bad. Maybe the analysts are gone. Yeah. You've outlasted them. Maybe, maybe. But I really appreciate it. You've always been a nice supporter of paychecks and having me on. I, well, I as a customer, a, a satisfied customer, and someone who knows how to read a balance sheet, I congratulate <laughs> you. Thanks. John, I congratulate you, too. You're inheriting a fantastic company. What are the, some of the things that you're going to continue to grow? Because there's so many different lines that Marty started that made this company into, frankly, a technology company that handles paychecks. Well, you're exactly right, Jim. Uh, what we're going to do, and I've been very pleased to be part of the team the last almost decade with Marty, really transforming paychecks to become a technology company, really focused on HR. And I think you should expect we're going to continue to do that. We've also proven we're the best operators in the business. When we posted 41% margins this quarter, very consistently over the time I've been here, we've demonstrated capability to do that. And we're going to continue to be a stable financial uh, uh, investment for investors and really generate a great total shareholder return. Those are the three things we're going to keep focused well, on. It's clear that you guys love technology. And there are things that people don't realize, but as a small business owner, I know. Yeah. Like, when you do something as voice-assisted, that matters tremendously. Oh, no, there's no doubt about it. You've got to think about it. Small business owners today are under tremendous pressure. Their time is extremely valuable. If you're running a restaurant, chances are people aren't showing up, and you've got to maybe go from one location to the other. So your time is very valuable. We're now allowing you with our Paychex Voice Assist to be able to get in your car 
and with the Google Assisted device, be able to complete your payroll, your HR task right on the phone on the way to the next place. See, a lot of people say that they have artificial intelligence that I can't ever see. It always <laughs> seems to me to be uh, something that's natural and fictitious, but you guys mean it. Now, Marty, one of the things that is uh, during this period we've known each other, I think we've had three or four recession scares. What yeah. I'm real, yeah. uh, develop something. Now, uh, we've got one again. And yet when I look at the number of people, number of companies you have and the creation, it makes me hard pressed to think that we're about to be uh, that we're on a precipice. Well, it still feels good. We had a great quarter. We had uh, best sales performance in the first quarter, uh, record breaking sales. Uh, We still see our our clients adding employees. uh, And so and it's getting a little bit easier to add them, Jim, as you know, it's a little bit easier to find them. Still a lot of openings there. But it's a little bit easier now. So we really are not seeing it at this point. Uh, and we have revenue retention uh, that is still record best, even better than pre-pandemic still at this point. Well, I, I think that's amazing. The other thing is, John, you when, when I start with Martin, all the analysts cared about was how low the interest rates were. And so, therefore, he couldn't not perform. And Marty told me over and over again, watch us. We're not going to be dependent upon that one particular metric. At the same time, this moment you take over, the short rates are are really, really high. And it does seem like that you have a bank with no credit risk. Well, Jim, look, I think as Marty has done a great job, we've really positioned the company as as a technology and an HR solutions company. And if interest rates go up, that's certainly good for us. But what we're really focused on is how do we sell maximum value to our customers? And we're doing that. When you look at the results this quarter, our team has executed greatly in really selling the most value. Our average revenue per new customer is up 9%. That's far more than any price increase. We're selling more products and service because the products and services we have are resonating for what they need. Now, Marty, one of the things that I, I think we're acutely feeling just since this Jackson Hole conference is a little gun shy. Uh, if you want to start a business uh, and you may need credit, I think you might be more fearful than you were. I wonder whether there was another way or a better way, say, to be able to tamp down inflation and yet still allow growth because you went through covid you saw what could be done. So what could the government do a little bit more gingerly that would make it so we would still have more people uh, well, putting food on the on Well, the- Jim, the subsidies were a great help. Obviously, yes. they really fed uh, the economy a lot. Not only businesses, you know, we helped provide over 9% of the PPP loans that came out. We were there the day after they were available. That was a tremendous help. Now the employee retention tax credit. We've done a tremendous job giving over... 45,000 of our clients an employer retention tax credit, helping them get that for over $8 billion, probably on average around $190,000. Subsidies like that have really helped kind of carry over businesses into a tough time. And maybe we ought to keep an eye on something like that for the future. No, I think that's a great point. John, in the time uh, since Marty came in, it seems like many states have changed the rules on small business. And one of the things that is very important is that paychecks has changed with them. How many different uh, rules have, in the time, in the, because you've been here for a while, how many different rules have changed and how much more advice do you have to give the clients, which is very sticky when you give that advice? Yeah, there's no doubt about it. I, I couldn't tell you how many more regulations. It's different by every state and it's changing every day. Um, we have over 700. One of our fastest growing businesses, we pour it again, is our HR outsourcing right. businesses. Unbelievable growth. Why? Because it's complex for small business owners to understand what the rules are. And so we have over 700 trained HR consultants actively engaging clients every day. 
helping them figure out how they navigate these complex rules. And, you know, the other thing that's happening, Jim, as you know, is people are a lot more remote today. So the likelihood that small or mid-sized businesses are going to have employees in multiple states, now you totally blow the lid off the complexities. Because now what works in New York doesn't necessarily work in California or doesn't work in Illinois. And so now all of a sudden you're really seeing business owners saying, look, I just can't handle this anymore. And they're calling paychecks to help them out. All right, Marty, I'll give you the last word. What can you say to your team and to shareholders about uh, how they've done and uh, what you're most proud of? Well, I'm most proud of the team. The 16,000 employees of Paychex have really done it all. And through all of these times we talked about, recessionary times, tough times, COVID, they've always come through, focused on service. Service is defined now as much technology, a lot of self-service too. You know, our employees, our mobile app is still a five rated uh, mobile app out of five just about. And it's just really made a difference for remote employees. We've always been there and our employees, I'm just very proud of them. And our shareholders have certainly done well and they expect it. And with John, we're going to continue to deliver for them. I want to congratulate you for a great run. Many shareholders, many shareholders have thanked me for introducing you to the public. John, I wish you the best of luck. Will you please continue with us the way Marty did? Absolutely. All right, then we're we're winners then. I want to thank Marty Musi, Chairman and outgoing CEO of Paychex, and John Gibson, the current COO and incoming CEO of the company. Gentlemen, congratulations. Thanks, Jim. Thank you, Jim. Everybody's back after the break. Coming up, Kramer takes your calls, and the sky is the limit. It's a fast fire lightning round. Next. That's where I take your calls rapid fire. You say the name of stock, I tell you whether to buy, 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 or sell, sell, sell. And just because I do know the cause or the stock questions ahead of time, my staff prepares the graphics on the fly. We play until you hear the sound. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Ski Daddy? Time for the lightning round. I'm going to start with Jay in New York. Jay! Um, uh, it's Israeli, Israeli tactical defense company that is, that is way too expensive. I'm sorry I can't endorse it. Let's go to Stuart in New York. Stuart. Hey, Jim. How you doing these days? Uh, Stuart, Stuart, I'm doing well, and I hope the Good. same for you. Uh, thank you. Uh, I got a fallen angel from the past that everybody loved that's in trouble today, and it's Annalie Capital. Do you think? Well, we don't want to say they're in trouble. I just happen to not like the company. And it is indeed a fallen angel. And I knew the, the uh, previous CEO because he lived near me in Summit. May he rest in peace. But I'm not going to recommend that stock. Let's go to Neil in California. Neil. Booyah, Jim. Thanks for taking Booyah. my call. Booyah. What's I got up? A, yeah, I got, a, I got a question for you about a kind of a speculative thing here. Enovix Corporation, ENVX. Okay, now this is another one. Oh, it's an electronic components company that probably in another different time if the Fed weren't tightening, I'd say you could speculate in, but instead I'd just sell, say sell, sell. because it costs too much money. Let's go to Alan in Utah. Alan. Booyah, Jim. Booyah, Alan. What's up? What's your, please, please give us your opinion on uh, Wolf Speed. Thank you. All right, we'll speak. I, I like semiconductor companies, but they are all very undervalued, except for a few of them, like this one, which are overvalued. I'm going to tell you not to buy this stock. Doesn't make money. Samir in Texas. Samir. 
How are you doing? I'm good, Samir. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Um, just wanted to have a quick check on FDEM stock. Uh, it's not a good position to get yeah, in now. The energy storage company is one of our absolute favorites. But then again, what's happened is back. What happened here very quickly is, is that, again, a company that is not making a lot of money with a high stock in an era when the Fed wants to crunch inflation is not a stock you can own. Branded America. Oh, no. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the lightning round. The lightning round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, own it, don't trade it. And keep an eye on Apple with Kramer next. Let's put this historical moment in perspective. When bears growl at the market. I know you're tired of it, and I'm tired of it, but get used to this sound. Kramer roars right back. It's abundantly clear that right now it feels like no price is safe enough to buy. Stocks may be done, but mad money is never out. We're stuck for the moment with the fear, and it's real fear. Stick with Kramer. And let's find your portfolio's next big winner together. Nothing seems to matter except getting out ahead of the other guy. (gasps) Is Apple really finished? This morning, we got an irrefutable story from Bloomberg about how sales have slowed for the iPhone 14 and orders are being cut back because demand's more tepid than management expected. I've always said you should own Apple, not trade it. But when I read this story, all I can say is, darn it, I can't prove this story isn't true. Apple certainly won't dispute it. They never do. So people will sell the stock and sell the stock hard, as they did, because this is one of the few remaining big-name stocks that's yet to be truly crushed by big sellers and short sellers. Of course, periodically, Apple will pre-announce a shortfall or better than expected quarter. The thing is, they tend to announce these shortfalls after the calendar quarter is over. So it would be highly unusual for Tim Cook to come out and say, and I quote, the rumors are true, we're cutting our orders because the reaction to the 14 is ho-hum, end quote. But let's dig deeper for a second. Almost immediately after the story appeared, Morgan Stanley, which knows more than most about Apple, came out with a piece entitled, Pulse, Initial iPhone Production Headlines More Bark Than Bite, end quote. Morgan Stanley doesn't refute the central thesis from Bloomberg that the company wants to reduce production of the new iPhones by as much as 6 million units. Order times are too short for the 14 and 14 plus. Lead times are two days and zero, respectively. That is, I think, disappointing. However, they also point out that demand for the 14 Pro and Pro Max is robust, something that could be confirmed by Verizon and ATT when they say that you can't get your phone until late October if you subscribe. Meanwhile, that Morgan Stanley piece, though, beyond that, I'm not rattled by stories about Apple production cuts. Why? Because whenever things seem dire in tech, this kind of story does seem to surface, almost like clockwork. You call Apple, they say nothing. That's their policy. You call their suppliers, they say nothing. Because the first rule of the Apple Club is that you don't talk about the Apple Club. They'll, they'll lose the business if they speak to the press. Now, I actually know this because I once got a supplier in huge trouble with Apple by demanding on air that they tell me how Apple's doing. I think I cost the source tens of millions of dollars. So none of these suppliers will speak to the press when they get a call about Apple, which means these stories tend to be pretty hit or miss, and I'm being polite there. So here's what I really know. There's no important slowdown at Apple. Things are on plan. There have been no calls otherwise, because Apple seems confident that things are good for the high-end phones, where the real money is, even if the less expensive phones are indeed in flux or might have an excess inventory. 
What should you do with the stock, more importantly? Listen, practically every new iPhone iteration has been met with these kinds of slag stories. Each time selling the stock on these hit pieces was a mistake. Let me put it this way. I meet people in the street all the time. Sometimes they ask me how I knew to stay long Apple since it was trading at five bucks. Well, they kept trading in and out, in and out. I tell them it's because I ignore these stories about Apple's supposed weakness and instead focus on their sky-high customer satisfaction, their surging service revenues, and the lifetime value of their massive customer base, more than a billion people, many of them doing lots of repeat business. Go ahead and trade Apple if you want, but we're sticking with it for the long haul on my charitable trust, which you would know if you were a member of the CMEC Investing Club. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise I'll try to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. The news with Shepard Smith starts now.